Amen. You may be seated. On page 9 in your bulletin, you will find a few brief readings from the book of Proverbs for today's scripture reading. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. This is the word of the Lord. We ask you, Lord, to mightily bless our hearing of this and be to write it upon the tablet of our heart. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So before we get started, I just want to make sure that you guys have in hand. You won't need it right away, but just make sure you've got this little handout in your bulletin that has a heart in the middle. Make sure you've got that because we'll... Come back to this in a moment. So this is a, um, a sermon series, as I said last week, it's for everybody, but I'm, I'm actually in particular thinking about those of you who are youthful saints. I'll let you decide if you fit in that category or not, but I've been thinking a lot about the youthful saints in, in our church, and, and I, I want to explain for just a moment why. Why am I so interested in you younger saints? Now, what I'm about to say is going to sound really sinister, I am interested in you younger saints because I believe we are now living in a society that has learned how to control you by focusing you on yourself. Now, this is kind of a new kind of control, and I know that sounds really sinister, but think with me about it. I believe our society has learned how to control you younger ones by focusing you on yourself. See, when we think about being controlled, we think about somebody doing something against our will, but it's even more powerful if you can control someone through their will. Our society focuses you constantly on, it, 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 it encourages you in so many subtle ways and so many explicit ways to constantly be focused on what do I want, what do I need, what will make me happy, what do I have a right to, and I want you to think with me about how that serves the purposes of, say, profiteers, pe people that are in the business of creating profit. I mean, this, this is just, it makes so much sense. Profiteers have figured out, here's what you do to a society. You stir their wants. Once you've got their wants stirred, you feed them what they want. And once they've got what they want, you stir their wants again. And you can make quadrillions and quadrillions of dollars doing this. Here, do this. Here, try this. Here, have this. And if you do this and try this and have this and whatever, you, you'll be happier. You'll be more comfortable. You'll be more likable. You'll be more important. You will never be bored. If you, and they just market this stuff, it's fantastic for profiteers. And, you know, let's be honest, our least favorite people, it's also good for the politicians. 
Because what do politicians basically do in this country now? They pledge to us as you know, people, especially younger people, you know, you, you vote for me, you vote for this party, you get behind this ideology and platform, your needs will be met, your wants will be fulfilled, we'll secure your rights, we'll preserve your comforts, and it's not a difficult political formula. Wants and rights equal votes. And politicians have figured that out. And I gotta tell you guys, I don't know if this is even, I don't even know if you're aware that this is going on enough that what I'm about to say, I don't know if this will just sound crazy to you, I want you guys to be free. Look at me. I want you to be free. I want you to be free, and the only way that you are going to be free of all of these agendas for your wants, this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say in this sermon, the only way to be free from all of these controlling agendas that are going after your wants, and they're bringing very successful and going after your wants, is to lose what you want for you and the goodness of what God wants for you. That's freedom. When you lose what you want for you and the goodness of what God wants for you, people cannot control you anymore. They can't go after your wants and rule you through your own desires. That's what I want for you. Well, what does God want for you? How do, what, I say lose yourself in the goodness of what God wants for you. What on earth is that? And that's what this series is trying to explore. So last time I said basically that God made you guys, all of us, to live between his word and his world. They're both part of living for God, hearing his word, but also living in the real world. That's just what human beings are for. That's what God created us for. That's, that's why we exist, is to, to, and that's really what Jesus is restoring, if you think about it. Jesus is bringing us back to that life where we are fully connected to God's word, and we are fully engaged in God's world as we live under the word. The Bible just calls that wisdom, communion, fellowship with God through his word, dominion, for God, rule for God in his world. That's just wisdom, that's humanity, priests in the Lord's presence, kings ruling his world. That's, that's, that's Christianity, that's just humanity. That's why I called this series Mere Humanity. And that, the aim of this series, as I said last time, if you look there on page, what is it, nine, down toward the bottom, I just wanna, I, I wanna help us grow our humanity. And what I, as a way of getting at that, I'm, I've taken these 12 pieces uh, from the game board of human life, if you will, and I just want to spend some time over these weeks hearing God's word about each of these pieces and then asking, so how do you take these pieces of our humanity and play those pieces in the game of life in a way that brings the fullness of the life God wants for us? That's really what we're, what we're after here. So if last time we talked about, you could think about the ear as the doorway into our humanity. You know, whoever has your ear is forming you, forming your humanity, the ear is the gateway into the development or the ruin of us. Today, we've really come through the doorway into what I'm going to call the command center, the heart. So let me ask you guys something. What is your heart? When the Bible talks about your heart, what is it? And this is where this diagram, I'd like you to just look at it for a moment with me. And I'd love to actually sit some time and talk to you guys and we could have a real conversation for hours about this. But if you look at this chart for a minute, the, the insert in your bullets, and I, I, I just... I want to say something about sort of psych the psychology of humans as the Bible talks about it. And, and the main thing I want you to see as you look at this diagram is just that you and I are complicated. So if you look at the upper and lower sections, and we share this as Christians with many uh, religious and, and, and thought traditions throughout the history of the world, actually, we, we understand that humans have both a material and an immaterial dimension to them, which is to say you and I have a, a body that's made out of matter. It will actually eventually decompose and change form as matter someday, 
And we also believe we have something immaterial. Your soul is not made out of matter. And so we are neither beasts. We're not animals because we have a soul. We're not angels because we have a body. And if you look at those two dimensions, above and below, sort of, higher and lower, the soul and the body, you'll notice that in both of these dimensions, you and I have the capacity, the, the, the ability both to know and to love. In the realm of your soul, your mind, your intellect knows things, and your will seeks and chooses those things, loves those things, down in the realm of your body. Your, your, your body knows things through its senses, and you have passions and emotions, literally bowels, the Bible speaks about bowels of desire, that you know, lo- love things and seek things and desire things. And so what I've done by sticking the heart in the middle of all this is to try to help you think about the fact that the heart, your heart, is not just your soul. Many Christians think the heart is the soul. It's not just your soul. It's certainly not just your intellect. Because a changed heart is more than just a change of ideas, although that's important. It's more than just a change of beliefs. I mean, if only heart training with your kids, you could just catechize them and everything's set. You know, give them the right ideas. There are Christian parents who think like this. Give your kids the right ideas, they're set for life. What a simple-minded approach that is. The heart is way more than just your ideas, just your beliefs. It's even more than your will, that part of you that chooses and seeks in your soul, that loves in your soul. It is all of those things, but it is more... It's, it, it's not quite so simple as the heart is just the mind or the will because the heart is also affected. Notice this. Your heart is also affected by what affects your body. Wine makes glad what? The heart of man. Bread strengthens man's what? Strengthens his heart. And you could go beyond that. There are so many experiences that happen to your body. Trauma is one of them. If you look, talk to people who have been abused in some way. When you have certain experiences, your body has certain experiences, say, of, of some kind of trauma that you've had. There, there, people talk about how trauma lodges in the body, and it generates very powerful emotions. Jesus experienced this. Things that happened to Jesus' body generated emotions, sinless emotions, interestingly. Anger, weariness, depression, grief, joy. Jesus experienced these things, and they were in part because of things that were happening to his body. People always say love is a choice. Love is a choice, and love is also described, as I said, as bowels of compassion, like your guts get involved in love. The scripture says, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and what? All your strength. It includes the passions and drives of your body as well as just your mind and your soul. It helps you understand why Paul can pray for the Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely and may your, notice this, your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the heart, as the Bible thinks about it, is the command center of your entire humanness. Everything about you, material and immaterial. Your heart is the core of your entire personal agency. Everything about you that knows and wills and desires and chooses and resists and flees, all of that, that whole of your personal agency is driven by your heart, which is at the core of it. And what's interesting in the Bible is that heart was made to be God's temple. It was to be a place that God inhabits 
and radiates his life out of your heart. Paul prays for the Ephesians. He says, I am praying that Christ may dwell where? In your hearts by, as you believe in him, that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, will, will live inside of you and take over that command center. That's what it's for, that, that the life of God could, could radiate out from your, from your core and that includes, interestingly, not just your, your thoughts and your ideas, it includes the feelings and the passions and the drives and the desires of your bodies. Because what does Paul say? It's not just your hearts to be God's temple. He says, don't you know that you're what? Your bodies are the temple of God. Your, your passions, your, your, your emotions, your physical drives, all of that, God wants to dwell there. It is from there that Jesus rules and from the rule of Jesus in my heart, it, his rule like radiates out in change in my life and change in the world. So what I'm saying here is that from the core of you, beloved, from the core of you on out, you are made for God. You are made from the heart to know him through his word. Yes, through his world as well, to love, to serve God. In your worship, yes, but also in your work, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you desire, whatever your passions are, to glorify Him. You're made from the, in the whole of your personal agency to honor the Lord and enjoy Him because He's the source of all good. He's the Lord of all life. He's the ground of all hope, amen? He is what you seek with your whole heart. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. All of you belonging to God. It's kind of like marriage. I gave my heart to Sarah 20 plus years ago, and my whole self from the heart is now oriented. Everything about my life, everything about my energies, passions, drives, everything is now oriented to this one to whom I am united. It's a little bit of a picture of what it is to be united to God. My whole heart belongs to Sarah. My whole life belongs to her, and what I've discovered in all these years of being married is that that's not actually confining. See, people are afraid of you give your heart to God, it's going to confine you, set you back, restrict your life. What balderdash? My life is not more constrained and constricted because I've been faithful to Sarah. My heart has been hers for all these years because through marriage, God has ushered me into the, all, everything that life with Sarah entails. I have found as a married man that for me, as, as God's calling in my life, my life is actually bigger with Sarah than it was without her. And I'm just using that as an illustration to try to show you that when you are the Lord's and your heart is his, you are ushered into all the expansiveness that you can only experience with God. You can never experience when you're running away from him. But, the scripture says, we human beings, we're not like this. Because we're told about us all that though we know God, we will not glorify him as God and be thankful. We won't. We will not acknowledge he is sovereign, he is God. We will not acknowledge he is the source of all good and be thankful to him. But the scripture says we go on from that. It's not just we don't glorify God as God, then our foolish hearts are darkened and we take the glory of the invisible God and we try to tie that to creatures. We turn from God. Our hearts turn from God. He is the sovereign. He is my source. And we turn to creaturely things. In our age, it's usually self. On my own source, on my own sovereign, I do me. And of course, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus has freed us from that enslaving idolatry, that worship of the creature, that worship of yourself, that giving your heart to yourself all the time. You are not your own. That is liberation, beloved. But the question I want to explore today is, as Christ has brought our hearts back to God, 
How do we seek and serve this God who has brought us back to himself? How do we seek and serve him with all our heart? Hopefully this gives you a better idea of what our heart actually is and how it's to be united to the Lord. But I want to talk just for a few moments, and I'll be brief. How then do you seek and serve God with all of your heart? And I just want to talk about two things in the time we have left today. I want to talk about guarding the doors of your heart and opening the springs of your heart. This is what it looks like to seek and serve God. Your heart is made for God. Only really in loving God can you truly enjoy the goodness of the creaturely things. But how do you seek and serve Him with all of your heart? Well, you guard the doors and you open the springs. Let me say something about guarding the doors. I remember the 2006 World Cup. The rest of the world calls it football, we call it soccer. I remember that 2006 World Cup very well because it was the summer that Kenton was born and I was just a lot going on. And I remember that there was a particular player that there was a lot of buzz about in the 2006 World Cup and his name was Ronaldinho. He was part of a, uh, a, a the Brazilian national team for whom there was a great deal of anticipation. Um, he had been part of Brazil winning the 2002 World Cup in, in great style. And in the years between 2002 and 2006 in Barcelona, he was an absolute phenom of a soccer player. Sometimes you should totally check this guy out on YouTube. I mean, the stuff he could do with a soccer ball, I still to this day, it's, it, it's, 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 I mean, it looks like it's just supernatural. It looks like he somehow has glue stuck to the ball. I mean, he just, his control was, was astonishing. And there was all this expectation, and, and he, he just had a, a zest for the game. He had this big boyish grin, and he was just a lot, he was just awesome to watch. In fact, there's a, an ESPN uh, correspondent named Tim Vickery who, who says about Ronaldinho, it's hard to think of any other player who's given us as much pleasure, has, who has given as much pleasure to so many as Ronaldinho did in his best years. There was a wonderfully pure childlike joy about the way he approached the game and the pleasure he appeared to derive from his own prowess, which was awesome. There was no aggressive bling or arrogant swagger, just a player who played in the full meaning of the word, expressing himself, enjoying himself, recreating himself, and allowing all of us to share the occasion with him. He was just, he was alive on the field. And then 2006, and everyone's waiting, like, this is it, Ronaldinho, he's back. And I remember the, the buzz at the time was, whoa, doesn't look like Ronaldinho's in shape. <laughs> he was not in shape. And he had a pretty lackluster performance, as did the team as a whole. They were knocked out of the uh, tournament eventually. And interestingly, he was still a very young man. But by four years later, in 2010, he was not even named to the national team. This absolute superstar. And I want to read you Tim Vickery's comments about what happened to Ronaldinho. Thinking about guarding the doors of your heart. He mentions another... Uh, Brazilian super, superstar footballer Pele, you probably heard of him, and he says after Pele's disappointment in the 1966 World Cup, he fought like a lion to get himself in good shape for 1970. Ronaldinho took a different path, one that led to the nightclub rather than the training ground, where once he was a bright-eyed, happy child, Ronaldinho started coming over more like a dull-eyed, sulking adolescent. However naturally talented, no one can be as good at anything as Ronaldinho was at football without loving the activity. It seems clear that he fell out of love with the game, became bored with the daily battle to stay fit enough to do himself justice. Notice these lines. The player who made so many fall in love with football fell out of love with the game at an early age, or at least, notice this, or at least fell out of love with the sacrifices necessary to play it at a high level. 
How might things have been if he really applied himself? Unfortunately, we'll never know. There were no serious injuries to blunt his effectiveness. He blunted himself with his own choice of priorities. You must guard, dear saints, the doors of your heart. If you are going to be and to do everything that God, your maker and your redeemer, has made you to be and to do, and for and all the glory that comes with that, because Ronaldinho was pursuing a perishable crown. I mean, a World Cup victory is a big, big deal. You and I are pursuing an imperishable crown that will never fade away, a heavenly, eternal crown, the Bible says. God wants you to be and to do this glory. He wants you to become this He wants you to enter into this glorious experience of becoming the humanity that God intended. And in fact, he's going to take it even to another level in the glory of the world to come. And if you're going to be that and do that, it requires wholeheartedness. Your whole heart has to be in this. And what that means is you've got to be in love with the game. Got to be in love with this thing God has called you to. And it really means, if you're going to push it into the practicals, it means you have to love the sacrifices, as Vickery puts it, the sacrifices necessary to play at that high level. You have to love the sacrifices because I love the game. I, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I kick that goal, I feel, you know, I feel the glory. I, when I walk with Jesus and I become what he's made me to become and I do what he made me to do, I feel the life of Christ. Then you better love the sacrifices you got to love saying no. Now listen, if you want to be a lazy, useless athlete, go to the nightclub every night. Ronaldinho's getting by on one hour of sleep. Fine. You will lose. Run that you may win. That's Paul's language. And it means you just have to shut your doors at times against certain things that are always knocking at the doors of your heart. You have to shut your doors, beloved, against unbelief. Some of you guys wrestle constantly with just really not believing God loves you, really not believing and accepting the fact that, listen, you don't get to define you. God already did, and he has sovereignly announced that you are his child. Receive that identity. Love that identity. Rest in it, man. And when unbelief comes knocking, just shut the doors to unbelief. Shut your doors to that pride, that stubbornness. I'm not, I'm not going after you. It's right here inside of me. That you, you and I are proud. We are stubborn. We resist the command. Bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Do what he says, not what you want all the time. It, you, part of you just, it, there's, there's pride that knocks at your heart, and there's resistance and stubbornness. Some of you need to learn to shut the doors to that inner eye roll. And, man, you see it all the time, that inner eye roll. Oh, you know, you know, there Pastors, parents, teachers, old people, they're always saying this stuff. And you know, how's that worked out for you? And you just kind of roll your eyes. That eye roll knocks at your heart. You have got to kick that thing out and slam the door. I do not roll my eyes at Jesus Christ and the living God. Even when they are talking to me through things that, you know, flawed human beings. And, and there's lots, you know, it's why people say, you know, I, I love Jesus, but not the church. Right, because somehow there's this idea that, I mean, the church is full of flawed people who need Jesus. So, you know, you love the church because we all need Jesus. That, that's, you know, and, and so you just, you, you, you just push away that eye roll that wants to just always be cynical and, you know, uh, you know. And, and the apathy, the, the distraction, you gotta, you, that comes knocking on your heart. Sometimes you just need to stop being distracted. Get focused. 
This is a real thing, this spiritual warfare. It's a real thing, this life of God that's invaded the world. Wake up, beloved. Sometimes that's what we just got to, we just got to shut the doors to the apathy and the, and the distractions of stupidity in this age and say, no, I'm focused. Shut the doors to forgetfulness, that part of you that God has been so good to you and you just don't remember for more than four minutes. I'm the same. In gratitude, God heaps us with blessings and we're just not thankful to him. Overindulgence knocks on your doors. Good things, too much. They have a good thing. Cowardice, the, the, the thing that knocks on your door when it's going to cost you socially to follow Jesus. And you'd rather not speak the truth, not live for goodness, because it's just easier to go with the crowd. You've got to close the door to cowardice and compromise. And then to self-pity, that thing inside of us as Christians that wants to say after a while, why is God so hard on us? Why can't God just ever let us go on autopilot and coast for a while? How come I'm always getting spankings from the Lord about small sins when people are out there in the world committing fun, grand sins and God seems to ignore them? That's just self-pity. You've got to close the door to that. No, I'm not, I will not listen to that. Anything whatsoever that knocks on the doors of my heart that does not make me more fit for the purpose for which God made me must be shut out. That's seeking the Lord with your whole heart. Can I give you a very practical suggestion? And I try not to suggest anything to you guys that I'm not doing myself. I would encourage you guys regarding closing the doors, you know, barring the doors of your heart. I'd encourage you this year to sit down with somebody you trust. And if you don't have people you trust, that's a problem you need to fix. You've got to work that out. Sit some, down with somebody you trust and have, these, have this friend, have this mentor, have this person check the doors of your heart with you. You think your heart's in good shape. How would you know? Nobody deceives you like you deceive you. Nobody deceives Ben Miller like Ben Miller. If you're sitting around looking at the doors of your heart thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty airtight, you're a fool. Get someone to check on the doors of your heart. I have people in my life, I've got a bunch of guys in my life, and these men and my wife, they are checking the doors of my heart. And I talk with them on a regular basis because there's stuff sneaking in. There's little serpents getting underneath the doors all the time, and I have to have them help me figure out where the leaks are, where I'm not resisting what I need to resist, where I'm, I've not got the the sealant up where I need the sealant, I, I need people in my ear saying, brother, you know, love you, looking like you got some leaks here. <laughs> you have to have accountability. Guard the doors of your heart. You cannot seek God with your whole heart if you're not paying attention to what's getting under your tent. But the other thing I would encourage you guys in is opening the springs of your heart, because that can all sound maybe a little bit negative. It is, it is rigorous. It's not negative. It's just the reality if you want to play this game. But you also open the springs of your heart. So Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. But I want you to think about the whole other side of Jesus. We don't just follow him in the sufferings of faithfulness. We also follow him in the awesome privilege of being a conduit through which God pours his life into the world. You'll notice that there at the end of chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. There's the doors. Why? Because out of it flows what? The springs of life. What does it look like? Think about Jesus. When God's life is flowing into you and flowing out of you. It's very interesting that out of the heart flows the springs of life. In, in Ezekiel 47, there's a picture of the temple, and we're told that out of the temple, water starts trickling out 
under the doors, out into the city, and eventually it's like knee-high, waist-high, up to your chin. The life of God is flowing out of the temple, and that helps us think about Jesus' words in John 7 when he says, whoever believes in me, out of his inmost being, out of his core, will flow rivers of living water. That's what happens when God is flowing into you as he's come into your heart through faith in Jesus. You start having the the springs of life flowing out of you, and so I want to ask you guys two questions related to opening the springs of your heart. Number one, do people around you do people around you get strength from you? Because see, God is strong. God is a rock. God gives stability. And that's how people who are full of God are. They, they, they minister strength and stability to people around them. So do people in your life, and, and you know, don't, don't go easy on yourself here, do people who actually know you in your actual life, do, do they get strength from you? you? You don't have to look very far in this world to find people right around you who are shaken up, People who are broken, people who need, as chapter 16, verse 22 here calls it, good sense is a fountain of life to the one who has it. There are people who just need some good sense. They could use a little bit of wisdom. They could use someone to talk to them. Just give them some perspective. Maybe even give them a judicious warning. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. You're careful. Adds persuasiveness to, your, to his lip. You're not just badgering people, but sometimes people could use a judicious, well kind of thought out warning, like, brother, you know, it seems like you're weaving in the lane a little bit. Sister, you know, how's it, how, how, you, how you doing? There are people like this all around you. I guarantee you, there are people sitting in this room right now who are like this. We're all like this, really. And these people, you know, you don't have to save them. <laughs> you don't have to fix them. But you can be that child of God, your heart full of Christ, your heart full of God's life. You can just show up. You can just reach out. Can I get specific with you teens? I'm going I'm to keep saying this until somebody does it. Actually, some of you are doing it, which is cool. Reach out to the, to the, to the people that God sends us as guests. Seriously. I say this and say this and say this. Get out of your clique. Go say hi. You don't know what might be going on in that life. Well, teens, you know, I know. They, don't only, they only talk to kids they know. Well, break that, break that mold. Like, show, that's ministering strength. I have had times, I remember as a young man going into social settings where someone took a minute and just came over and spent some time with me, and it, it strengthened me. It blessed me. It, sometimes whole friendships grew out of those simple little interactions. Sometimes not. That's fine. But you're showing up. You're reaching out. And, and learn how to speak a word in season. You know, to say to the fearful of heart, be strong. That's being a person who ministers strength. Lend a hand. Or sometimes just be that faithful presence over time who can be relied on. I have, I have saints all the time say to me, Pastor, I, don't feel like I, don't, I have no gifts. I'm not doing anything for the church. And I want to say to them, you are. You just show up. You're just one of those saints who's just a faithful presence in the church. That ministers strength more than you know. And this kind of strength that you pour into other people, you, you become a pillar for people, a, a rock to them. It flows out of a heart It can only flow out of a heart that is constantly being strengthened by God himself and that cares for people and their need for strength because God cares. God gives his strength. And I would just say to you, if you're young, you know, if if you don't give strength where you are, if you don't bother giving strength to your family or the people that are already around you because you're bored with them and you can't wait to grow up and move on to other things, if you don't give strength where you are, then what's happening is you are already, right now, becoming the kind of person who only cares for other people when you want something. It's already happening to you. You're already becoming that kind of person. Whereas those who are full of God, they are caring about giving strength because God cares about it, even if it doesn't have a lot to offer me. 
And parents, I would say to you, especially you're raising young kids, a massive piece of the heart work that parents need to be doing with their children is you habituate them to service. You don't just fill their heads full of catechism. You sure as anything, don't just fill their heads full of TV and, and twaddle. You habituate them to serve, to share the load, to carry burdens from their youngest days, just part of how they live. And by the time they're adults, it's just how they expect to live. Do people around you get strength? That's one way to open the spring. Second question, I'm almost done. Do people around you get joy from you? Because God, God doesn't just minister stability. He ministers vitality. And, 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 and there, there's a joy of the Lord that actually gives strength. And you can see that in verse, uh, chapter 15, the, 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 the verse 13, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. Verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. And out of a heart that is full of God, there just flows joy. And, and you give joy to people around you. I years ago read something by a, a, a non-Christian psychologist named Ed, Edwin Friedman about playfulness. And he was an, uh, he, he was a, an evolutionary thinker, and so he was talking about how you observe playfulness in mammals, which in his mind were later species, but not reptiles. You never see a reptile be playful, whereas mammals are often very playful. And he says something about what he calls chronically anxious families, which are just people that are just full of, you know, angst. And he says, chronically anxious families, stirred up families, including institutions and whole societies. I would say the United States is here now. Chronically anxious families or societies tend to mimic the reptile response. Lacking the capacity to be playful, their perspective is very narrow. And lacking perspective, their repertoire of responses is thin. In an atmosphere where everything is dire, a vicious cycle develops as a loss of playfulness destroys perspective. And when that circular process, you know, less perspective, less playfulness, when that circular process reaches unbearable thresholds, the chronically anxious family will not be able to contain its reactivity. And as someone who's done so much family counseling over the years, that is one of the one, number one benchmarks I use to check the, the emotional health of a home is, is there any playfulness left here when everything's dire, everything's so serious, reptilian serious. You realize that all the life of God has been sucked out of this. These hearts have no joy because joy is what bubbles up from the wisdom of God that always sees that deep goodness that evil can never touch sees the deep magic that the white witch just can't ever get to, and sees the absurdity, along with that deep goodness that evil can't touch, just sees the absurdity, the utter absurdity of so much in this world that pretends to be so big. He who sits in the heavens, he laughs. God has a sense of humor about the people that are down here posturing like, let's build a tower to heaven. And he comes down to check it out, and he laughs. And I've quoted this so many times because I just love it so much. In the return of the king, and there's a very dark moment when the hobbit Pippin looks at the wizard Gandalf in a very dark moment in a battle. And Tolkien writes, in the wizard's face, Pippin saw at first only lines of care and sorrow. Though as he looked more intently, he perceived that under all, there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth enough to set a kingdom laughing, were it to gush forth. He who believes in me, Jesus said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, a merry heart, it does good like a medicine. Open the springs. And my prayer for each of you, from the young 
to the old, is that each of you would be able to sing all the days of your life what we just sang a few minutes ago, my heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will awake and sing praise. And that as you are rooted and grounded in God's love through Christ dwelling in your heart, you will experience what Paul also prayed for in that same prayer in Ephesians 3. You'll be filled up with all of the fullness of God and it'll flow out into the world. Amen. Take our hearts, Lord. They are your own. May they be your royal throne. In Jesus we pray. Amen.